1: we have been studying and talking about spiritual gifts. And within the local church, the local body, one of the challenges any church has is an age-old problem you've probably heard before. It is that you have a few people doing the majority of the work. Perhaps you've heard it phrased this way, 5% of the people doing 95% of the work. When that happens, it can be easy to overlook those that are not serving, or perhaps are serving, but are not public or vocal about their ministry. Not that they aren't served, they are, they are part of the work that others are doing. It's actually the bulk of the work that the proverbial 5% are doing. But what can happen when this happens within a church or within any organization or entity? is pride. The belief among the 5% that they are special, that they are better. In fact, if you allow this to go on too long, they start even thinking that they are necessary and nobody else is, which can in turn further encourage the lack of service among others because they are not asked to serve, nor are they treated as necessary. Paul addresses this issue in our passage this morning. I invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as we're in the home stretch of this chapter verses 21 through 26. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 21 through 26. He continues with the illustration of the human body and says, "And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you; or again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become more, much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. In this passage, I want to offer you three realities, three realities of every believer and the church. We're talking about spiritual gifts. We're talking about service. Three realities of every believer and the church. If you misheard me and wrote down every believer in the church, same thing. All believers are part of the church. And these realities speak to the call to, the privilege of, service. The reality we have seen that all believers have been given a spiritual gift that is to be used for the common good. Our first reality of every believer and the church is that everyone is imperative. Everyone is imperative. Everyone is necessary. Let me read for you again verses 21 and 22. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. As we saw in the previous section, in verses 15 through 20, Paul personified the parts of the human body, gave them a voice as if they could speak to one another, as, they, as if each body part could think. Of course, he's relating that to each member or body part of the church. And in that section that we saw a couple weeks ago, he addressed the individual who may have thought that he or she was not necessary. Well, because I'm not the worship leader, they don't need me to serve. Because I'm not a deacon, they don't need me to serve often because of the seeming lowliness of their gift, especially in comparison to what the Corinthians were touting as the better gifts. Specifically, the gift of tongues was the one they really liked. In other words, in that passage, he was addressing those who felt they could not or even should not serve because they weren't really part of the body. The foot, for example, saying that it's not a part of the body because it's not a hand. This is all review from last week or two weeks ago. Here in our passage in verses 21 through 22, Paul, of course, continues the illustration but now addresses not those who are lacking self-confidence but those who may have too much of it because they esteem their own gifts so highly they think there is no need for anybody else, especially those with a so-called lesser gift. Whether it's the very significant eye saying to the hand that it has no need of the hand or the head, here a physical human head in the analogy, not a reference to Christ, saying the same thing to the feet, I have no need of you. And Paul is saying nobody can truly say that because it just wouldn't be true. And the reason nobody could say that is because everyone is needed everyone is imperative. We've seen this principle over and over again from different angles, but perhaps this illustration will really drive home the point. To be clear, Paul is not just rebuking the proud for their arrogance about their spiritual gifts and service, nor is he saying that Yes, it's true, only some people are necessary, but those of you who are necessary, you need to stop saying that, you need to be gracious, you need to build people up, it's discouraging to say that. Now, that's not what he's doing here. He is rebuking their pride because everyone is necessary. He is rebuking their arrogance because it has made them delusional. It has made them think so highly of their importance that they have completely misunderstood the reality of the body and the reality is that everyone is necessary. Everyone is imperative. But that's what pride does, doesn't it? It not only in the Christian life ignores the Scriptures, but it disregards grace. It disregards the fact that we are what we are and we have what we have because of a undeserved gift from God. And pride doesn't stop at overestimating oneself. It goes further and underestimates others. It has to, to build itself up. You see, pride isn't just about thinking yourself better. That doesn't work. It's thinking yourself better than others. It's a matter of comparison. You see, for the proud, it's not enough to be successful if there are others who are just as successful. A millionaire worth 400 million is not, it's not enough if he's proud if there's another person worth 400 million. It's not the money. It's not the buildings. It's not the large homes, it's not the companies. It's the pride, it's the arrogance. The proud wants to, needs to, create as wide of a gap between themselves and others as possible, even if it's just in their own thinking. Here's the thing, though, especially in the church. No matter how high you build yourself up, there's only so far you can go beyond reality. There's only so much that you can say and claim before people say, okay, we kind of believed you before, but we know it's just not true what you're saying about yourself now. And when you've hit your upper limit of self-praise, your only other option is to start pushing other people down to widen the gap. That's what the proud do. So, like the Corinthians, you overestimate yourself as much as possible. And when you hit that level, the outer realm of possibility, you know you can't go any higher for yourself until you widen the gap by underestimating, in this context, other people's gifts and other people's importance in the church. Because if you go any higher in your own mind of yourself, you're going to be laughed at. We're living in fantasy, and that's the last thing the proud want. So you push others down. You've been in conversations like that where you've been tempted to do that or you've heard other people do that. They're rejoicing over someone else's success. You're like, well, it, you know, it was actually not really. Uh, he, he got a scholarship. It was random. It wasn't just him. Well, you know, his parents are rich. He couldn't have done that if the parents didn't give him money in the first place. Well, you know, he just got lucky. He really, if you knew his grades in high school, he wasn't supposed to get in that school, but because of his ethnicity, they let him in. You push him down because you don't like that other people are happy for someone else. And even within the church, there is always a temptation for the proud and the gifted to think they can do without the less gifted. So we see Paul rebuking those who think they're all that the church needs, all that the body needs. While at the same time, secondarily, not, not directly, encouraging those, he addresses in the last section, who think they're not necessary. You are necessary. Building on last time, you can't say that you're not necessary because you're not that person. And no one can say you're not necessary just because they're arrogant and proud and because they seem to do more upfront on a Sunday morning. Again, this isn't just Paul being nice. He is, and this is very important, guys, and we, this is what he's doing throughout this chapter. He is developing a theology that will keep the church from self-destructing. That theology of the church is that all believers are the church, meaning all believers have been created in a way and placed in a way that all are necessary. See, he's not just being nice. He didn't just get word from someone from Corinth that says, you know, they're being mean to the people who aren't necessary. It's not like he's taking a little kid on his knee and saying, there, there, little guy. We all love you. You're smart. Now off you go. No, he is saying by virtue of the blood of Christ and how he created the church and dying for the church, you are all necessary. We are all necessary. And he goes further in verse 22 and says, on the contrary, on the contrary to thinking that you can say to someone that they're not necessary. These members of the body that you arrogant think are useless are actually not just necessary, they are vital to the body's existence. And he calls them weaker. The weaker members are necessary. What is this? Who are the weaker? In the illustration of the human body, which he goes back to here, Uh, Don't get confused, because English can mean many things. This is not weaker in the sense of like a smaller muscle, like a finger versus a thigh. Not weaker in the sense of being unnecessary. Obviously, this would contradict his whole point here. In the analogy of the human body, what is a weaker part of the body? Let me try to help you understand it by this. Weaker... Refers to the idea that you can punch stronger parts of the body, such as my chest, or slap me in the, the face, and ultimately I will be fine. But you can't do that to the weaker but necessary parts of the body. So think about it. Which parts of the body could you not physically hit or even touch and they still survive? The heart. The liver, the lungs, the kidneys, the vital organs which in God's design have been protected by bones and muscle and skin. And yes, those are the most vital parts of the body. They're not visible, they are internal, they are protected and weak in that they cannot be exposed to the elements or to human touch. But you cannot exist Without them. Look at the analogy hands, feet, eyes. You can live without those. People do. But you can't live without a heart, without lungs. You can't survive very well if you had a gaping hole and rocks and debris were landing inside of your body and contaminating your internal organs. You see, in ministries, some of the most crucial ministries are the ones that are not obvious. They are hidden, they are unknown. The faithful prayers, the sacrificial donors, the biblical rebukers, the consistent evangelizers. Oh, but you don't preach, so you're not necessary. You don't play music, so you're not necessary. Or for the Corinthians, you don't speak in tongues. So, we don't need you. But where would we be? Where would this church be without your prayers? Where would the church be without your anonymous donations? Where would the church be when there is no Christian in sight but you are in the midst of unbelievers preaching the gospel? You're the vital organs. We need to be humble regarding our service. Not a false modesty that keeps you from serving. Oh, they don't need me. I'm just nothing. There's no place for that. But understanding the grace of God in making you who you are and giving you what He has given you. Even if what He has given you is introversion and a so-called lesser gift you are still needed. And you may be vital to our existence. But what about praise and honor for these people? Isn't it justifiable for some upfront ministries to think themselves better when they get all the attention? When you dominate an hour of service with a 45-minute sermon, with music, with announcements, with reading Scripture not in God's eyes. And this leads us to our second reality of every believer and the church, everyone, is important. Not just necessary, but important. Look at verses 23 and 24. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. What is this talking about? What are the less honorable and less presentable parts of the human body? Well, the clue is in the word presentable and what the Greek word means. It speaks of decency, propriety, and modesty. So the less presentable members of your physical body would speak of shameful, indecent, unpresentable members. Yes, he is talking about your private parts, your sex organs. They are less presentable. They are less honorable. But we bestow on them more abundant honor. How do you, and you did this this morning, how did you... Put more abundant honor on your less presentable members, thus making them presentable. You took more time and energy and in some time in the past more money to make sure they are covered. Even when swimming, even at the beach, we buy just enough to cover the less presentable parts of the body. Those parts which are never and should never be seen in public. You may not think of it that way, but you do give them more honor. You spend more money and more time clothing these parts than you do your hands or your face, which are almost never covered. Well, pre-COVID at least. We're extra careful to even purchase undergarments that are comfortable as an extra layer of protection. Even that protection nobody sees, as they would see your shirt or your shoes. You won't wear underwear made of wool or denim. And when you do wear a wool sweater or denim jeans, you make sure to cover those less presentable parts with something more comfortable. All that to emphasize what Paul is saying in his analogy. Because when we do that, then they're presentable. You can go out in public. You can come to church. Your torso can go in public when you lavish abundant honor on them by, in essence, making them not public. There's nothing wrong with those body parts. They are very important. It's the display of them that is wrong. Let's not take this analogy too far. Because how does this translate to the church? In the church, when the people with the more public gifts... you understand what I mean by that? The people who are front on a Sunday morning. The worship leader, the, 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 the MC, the, the pastor, the special announcements, the choir. Those are more public. When the more public people with the more public gifts think that it's a shame to have a ministry that's not done in front of others, they are wrong. They're wrong. And in fact, they need to go the opposite way and give those people more honor. Status seekers often misconstrue humility as embarrassment. I'm going to say that again. Status seekers often misconstrue humility in others as embarrassment. Think about our country. We are fine without our astronauts, our sports figures, and our modern-day philosophers, which, frankly, are people like Oprah for the world. We're fine without them. But as a nation, we would not exist without day laborers. Just as with our sensitive areas, we must protect and appreciate those with, with, with less noticeable gifts that are vital to the church in your pride over your skills and education. You may look down on the cook and janitor, but you dare not get rid of them. Like we are in so many ways, we are to be countercultural and bestow honor on those the world deems insignificant. Paul goes on and says in verse 24 that the, quote, more presentable members have no need of it because it comes naturally i am already recognized because i am up front every week but there are those who do more than i do and they are unseen in fact some of you make the mistake of thinking they're not serving at all but all of us are important The reminder of that is found in referring once again to how God in his wisdom as sovereignty has made the body, the church, the word composed or combined in the NIV means mixed together. Not mixing randomly and hoping for the best, but the picture is of a a genius musician composing a symphony, mixing together the notes and instruments precisely for a masterpiece an architect, a painter, whatever it may be, even a chemist. And for God, it's mixing the members of the church in an order that makes it function harmoniously as his masterpiece. And like a master architect who decides which part is hidden underground that nobody will ever see, Or is an elaborate spire to be seen from miles around and to be associated with that building? Like a painter who chooses which colors will fade into the background so you don't even notice them? Or which colors highlight the focus of the painting? Or like an omnipotent creator? Who chooses which organs are naturally hidden under flesh, which parts are to be covered for decency's sake, and which members are to be seen in public. So God has chosen which members of the church are to be on display and which members are to be hidden, all the while placing all of them in a way in which we are all essential to the existence of the whole whether you're the foundational beams hidden underground that you would never even know about. Even other architects walk into that building and they know they're there, but they're not sure where. It's probably right here because of where the walls are. And no, in this building, it's probably this material because it was made in this year. But even the other architects don't know for sure. And maybe we don't understand it, but the architect understands I would not step within a thousand feet of that building if I wasn't sure that those foundational beams and concrete were laid. As a part of this wonderful body, the church, you have no right to think you deserve all the honor while others do not. But you also, on the other end of the spectrum, have no right to choose not to function, not to serve. On either end of the spectrum, we must be humble. Humble enough to honor the less visible. Humble enough to put aside our own comfort or the fear of man, our own desire for all our free time, and serve. And when it comes to comparing other, to other people, whether it's in arrogance saying those people are lesser or on the other end of the spectrum thinking, well, I can't do that, so I can't serve or shouldn't serve, that's not humility. It is not humility to say I can't do what he's doing. The sun is not humble when he says, well, I can't be dark. The athlete is not humble when he says, I can't cook. Humility in the church is not pointing out what you can't do. It's admitting admitting that what you have is from God and then faithfully living that out. Everyone is important. We've seen everyone is important. Then we saw everyone is imperative. Thirdly, everyone is interconnected. Everyone is interconnected. Look at verses 25 and 26. So that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Within the church, the word division should send shudders down your spine. It is a dangerous principle. It is a church-splitting reality. It is a life-ruining, faith-destroying reality in many churches. And here, the Apostle Paul is giving us the solution How can you have no division in the body? We do not want to create divisions in the body. Divisions between public ministers and private ministers. Divisions between the outgoing and the quiet. Divisions between those who pray and those who preach. Division between those you get along with and those you don't. If there is any entity in the world that is as close to the physical human body and where you do not want division, you do not want to rip off parts of your body, it is the church because we are all interconnected. And this is not just so everyone can feel good or feel welcome or feel comfortable. It's because God has, again, so designed the local church so that we all care for one another. We all care for all. That's an important distinction. Unlike when tragedy strikes, a friend or relative, and you're at a loss. I don't know what to say. I don't know if they want me to call. I don't know if they want me to leave them alone. I don't know if I should send something or if they have too much food and it's a burden. I don't know what to say. God has made it easy for us. God has made it clear in His Word and through your gifting as to how you are to care, just do your part. Just find out what your spiritual gift is and be faithful to it, and then we are all cared for. In a complex machine, one gear may not be touching another gear, but that doesn't mean it doesn't affect the whole Everything is interconnected. Pieces that seem to have nothing to do with another part affect the whole. Do your part, and you care for all of us. Not care in in an emotional sense. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah, I care for you. Not a Hallmark card, but actually doing something to care for, to meet needs, to one another, each other. See, caring for others is not because you have been gifted to be a pastor. It doesn't work if I'm the only one doing it. It is not based on our role in the church. Caring for others is based on the fact that you are a Christian and are a part of or should be a part of a local church. And as a Christian, you care for others by serving. You care for others by getting involved. And you can't care if you're not involved enough to know who to care for or how to care for them. It's not enough just to pray, bless Grace Church of the Bay Area. Bless everyone in the church. What does that even mean? Do you even know what that means when you say have a blessed day? It's not a thing in the Bible. It's a church culture thing. It doesn't mean anything. You don't know what that means. Our modern church, our modern society has taken a blessing that can only come from God and dumbed it down to something we say after someone sneezes. We have no control of that. I have no control of whether they are sick or not or whether their sneeze is going to cause other people to be sick. I have no control of whether you are blessed or how you view blessing. We need to care. We need to know. These these platitudes do nothing. We've all felt guilty because, hey, I'm praying for you. And a few weeks later, hey, he's out of the hospital. Thanks for praying. I lied. I never prayed. But we can do something. More than just lip service. More than just I miss you. More than just I hope things get better for you. You can do something so that things get better. You can go to Target, buy something, and show up at their door. You can skip Target and say, knock, knock. I'm clean. I'll wear a mask. I'm going to watch your kids. Go fix your marriage. Go on a date night. You can do something, not just hope. And the reality is when we say we hope, do you really hope? Are you up late at night hoping? Please, God, make it better. Or did you just hope in that moment that you said, I hope things get better? Oh, honey, well, you hear about this? That's a bummer. Okay, well, got to catch our ride. Go do our fun thing at the park. We need to care for one another. How does this fit with what Paul is saying? Not caring for the whole body is the same as saying... You are the only one who deserves honor. Because think about it. If you're not serving and caring for others, you sure are serving and caring for yourself. So, though you may not be the arrogant preacher or the arrogant whoever is up front saying no one else deserves honor but me, you are living that out by not serving. By only honoring yourself in your own life. And until you get these principles, until you serve, you won't understand how to practically and spiritually care for the church, at least without partiality. And without caring for the church, verse 26 will seem like absolute fantasy. It won't make sense if you're not serving. You say, well, it's hard because I don't love people. You learn to love people by serving them. Before COVID and after COVID, hopefully, you want to learn how to be compassionate for cancer patients? Go volunteer at the cancer ward. You will love them instantly. You, you want to you learn how to, to love the people on the street, that smell and have no food aren't digging in the trash and terrify your children when you walk down the street in Union Square. Go sit down with them. Hand them some food and listen to their story. You want to learn how to love the people in this church, the people that annoy you, the people that Make plans and then break them. The people that disrupt your singing because they're always late. The people you think are not serving. The people you know are not serving. Serve them. Serve them. Get to know them. Go to a small group. Go to a men's group. Take someone out to lunch. Hear their story. 11 months from now, don't just hang out with the people you know at our retreat. Have a meal. And if it becomes a group, sit with the person you were originally going to sit with because you don't know them. Serve them. Help them. And maybe the person you're judging, you'll find out, you know what, I had no right to judge because, wow, I had no idea. I had no idea. I just assumed your husband was still alive, just didn't come to church. I wasn't, I wasn't sure. I thought that was a sunburn. I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't know that you had that diagnosis. Or it could be something as simple as, I'm sorry that no one's spoken to you at church and you, you, you feel like an outsider after all these weeks. Verse 26 will not make sense if we're not serving. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Notice the word all. Not some, not a few. It should not just grieve the church when the pastor or an elder, or a deacon goes through difficulties. It should be anyone. But again, how do we know? If we're not serving them, and they're not serving us. When one member suffers, all members suffer. When one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. You may think you have done this because you cried when you heard someone else's bad news or you threw a party when someone else had a baby, but unless you are humbly preferring everyone, not just some, everyone at the church, you can't truly experience this the way God wants you to. There cannot be any partiality, no division. Not just the people you like, not just the ones you get along with, not just the ones that attend your small group, not just the ones who like you back, not just the ones who are willing to meet and show up. Everyone, all, I get it. The young single guys hang out with the young single guys. The young single girls hang out with the young single girls. The young single guys hope the young single girls will hang out with them. The older hang out with the older. The ones with kids hang out with the kids. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not saying not to do that. But we limit ourselves. I am so thankful, as I alluded to last a week ago from yesterday, last Saturday... I'm so thankful that we are a church that is small enough that although we will at some point, we don't need to say, okay, people are f- figuring out things, they want to get together, let's have an official single young adults ministry and a fingo- official young marrieds and official this, official that, and it just divides the church. Someone has once said, Sunday mornings at church is the most divided that the church is because you go to church and the parents sit here and the kids go to high school group or the high school kids sit in the back with their friends. The Christian family is no more divided any time in the week than on Sunday mornings, and I'm thankful that's not the case here. We need to make an effort to get to know people out of our comfort zones because your broader comfort zone should be this church. It should be Christian's. I see this partiality. I see this in life. I see it in my own life. I see it on social media within the church, where some members of our church are so happy and thrilled for a handful of people commenting, beautiful picture, wonderful, great, but not anyone else in the church. That's a service problem. That's a problem, perhaps, of a lack of humility. And sometimes we think, well, I can't influence anyone. No one respects me, but these people do, so I'll get this group division. As we've seen throughout this chapter, humility sometimes often means saying, well, I don't have that gift. I don't have a gift that involves leadership. So rather than trying to, or not trying, but... but, inadvertently dividing the church by saying, well, then I'm going to lead this group who's willing to fall under my leadership. Just find your gift and do that, and we will all care for one another. You understand this in Paul's picture of the body. Verse 26. A headache is rarely due to physical harm to the head. You know this. You're tired. You're dehydrated. You stubbed your toe. In the same way, trouble with an internal organ is often detected by discoloration or pain in a different part of the body. Why did the doctor think you might have heart problems? Because of my fingernails. In the same way, your nervous system positively makes your whole body tingle when just your head feels the warmth of a shower or just your tongue tastes your favorite treat. It's all interconnected, as are we. The reformer Martin Luther said this, See what the whole body does when a foot is trodden on or a finger is pinched. How the eye looks dour, the nose draws up, the mouth cries out, and all the members are ready to rescue and to help, and none can leave the other. So that it means not the foot or a finger is trodden on and is pinched, but the entire body. Again, when good is done to one member, that suits all the others, and the entire body rejoices therein. This is how it ought to be also in Christendom since it too is composed of many members in one body and has one mind and one heart. For such unity naturally has the effect that one is concerned in the good and the hurt of the others as in his own. Let me put that last part, the summary statement in our modern language. You should be as concerned... For anyone in the church, when they experience good, when they experience pain, as you would when you yourself experience good or experience pain. My friends, the only way this is possible is through the love of Christ the love of Christ that we have experienced and the love of Christ that we are to emulate. And there is no love such as the love of Christ, which can be summarized in one word, service. To serve other humans when he was here on earth, to serve the world through his death, continue serving us by saving us, gracing us with gifts, blessing us, holding back wrath, pleading our cause at the throne of the Heavenly Father. Everyone is imperative. Everyone is important. Everyone is interconnected. When I say that we possibly have 5% of the people doing 95% of the work, please understand, it's not this stuff. The 95% of the work is not strumming a guitar and setting up stuff, printing bulletins. It's praying. It's caring for. The 5% can't do it all. We can't pray for everyone's needs. We try, but we can't do it because we have other responsibilities. I would be spending 14 hours a day praying for you and not preparing sermons and not counseling and not shepherding outside of prayers. So we need you to do it. I can't support the church on my own financially. I can't do it. There was a time early on that I could not, I chose and could refuse a salary. I cannot do that anymore. I'm a father of three children. I can't do it. We all need to do it. I can't drive around the entirety of the greater Bay Area praying with people, delivering meals, helping people move, giving rides. I don't have time to learn the guitar, to lead worship, to pick the songs, which, by the way, takes a lot of time. Lauren spends a lot of time doing that, picking biblical songs, and he should be honored for that. We need all of your help, all the things even behind the scenes. If you secretly enjoy this or want this as a 5% because you are honored, if you tell others not to serve because you don't want to burden them, then you've missed the whole point. You don't understand service. And on the flip side, if you're not serving, you too, of course, have missed the whole point. You are needed. You are important. You are interconnected with us. You might have noticed this morning that my boys are wearing their soccer uniforms. They had picture day this morning. And one of our boys' teams, and and they had told us this before. My understanding is no fault of their own. Picture day kept changing because of COVID and times were changed. His coaches didn't show up. They told us they wouldn't show up for picture day. They had a prior engagement. They were going to make it. Then the photography people put them, their picture right smack dab when they were in the middle of something very important that they had planned months ago. And to top that off, half of his team didn't show up. I was very tempted to jump in to be the coach in the picture. You know, Throw me a soccer ball. Did they take a picture? Sure. No coaches, though. Half the team wasn't there. It still worked. But not the way it should be. And I would imagine, years from now, when we have that picture on the wall, some of you will be like, wait, coaches, 10 people, coaches, 10 people, five people, no coaches. Oh, that's right. And you'll remember it because it's different you'll notice it because it's different. It's not functioning the way they should. And the last game that he had yesterday, there was someone from the other team at that age group. I guess this is okay. Someone from the other team had to play on my son's team because so many people didn't show up. Can you imagine how that felt? And I don't want to draw out this illustration too far, but I think about that. I think about churches that hire unbelievers to play because they don't have anyone to play music. They, they hire unbelievers to run their sound system because no one wants to do it. No one wants to learn. No one wants to commit to be there every morning. They hire unbelievers to do things that believers should be doing and can be doing. Just like that kid from the other team had to, in essence, play traitor and play against his own team because this team couldn't get their act together enough to show up. You're important. You're connected. And even when you don't show up, and I don't mean show up on a Sunday morning. I mean not showing up and using your gifts throughout the week, we're still interconnected. And we're limping, our vision's bad, our hearing's bad, we're not functioning the way we should. And we're not going to ask someone from the enemy team to come join us. But what's going to happen is people are going to get burnt out. And I will tell you right now, there are people in our church who are getting burnt out. They are serving faithfully and with joy. Not in a sinful way, not in a proud way. They're getting burnt out. They're getting burnt out. They're doing too much because you guys aren't doing it. Let's serve. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for the clarity of Your Word. We're reminded of Your genius in creating the human body. and We're thankful that the closest... Analogy to that is us, the church. We're thankful that you have gifted us so that we can do whatever we're called to be. I pray that we would recognize whatever we are, the hand, the eye, the organs, whatever it may be, that we recognize that and serve faithfully, no longer suppressing our service, suppressing our giving, suppressing our gift. For those of us who are doing a lot, guard us against arrogance, guard us against pride guard us against thinking that we are the only ones necessary. May we be a church that recognize the beauty of the body, recognize that what we have is because of your grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand as we close in song and I want to make uh, one more announcement before we sing. Let's stand together. Some of you have asked, well, I'm convicted by this series, convicted by these, this passage. I need to serve, but I don't know where to serve. I cannot emphasize enough that the majority of what God has called us to do does not and cannot happen on a Sunday morning because it involves things going on in your own home, in your own closet, in your own mind, in your own quiet times, in your own neighborhoods, the one another's. But there may be some of you who are gifted in ways that we can utilize you in uh, these team official ministries. And you may discover your spiritual gift by doing those. A lot of times serving in these areas, though it may not be your spiritual gift, is a way to go into those ministries and practicing the one another's. And so it's a reminder that for those of us who do stuff on Sunday mornings, that's not enough. There should be more throughout the week. But for those of you who may want to join us in some of these things but don't know where you can serve, next week's bulletin will be filled with ministries and a short description of what we do and what that would entail so that you can know. And some of you uh, are hearing this for the first time, but I'm going to ask the team leaders, at the end, during the announcements, next week, I will explain each of those ministries. It's going to be a little long, but bear with me. They'll be standing there so you can know who they are, who our choir director is, who our worship leader is, who helps team, all of those things. And if you want to serve in those areas, they'll stick around, staying on the side, and then you can talk to them or just get more information. So, team leaders, be prepared to, to be there. Be prepared to take some signups or give some more information. That's for those of you who have asked for a list. How can I serve? We want to make those open to you. And I want, and I'll emphasize this next week, a lot of these aren't just opportunities to serve. A lot of these are uh, great needs, where some of these ministries are in desperate need of help. And they're very important, such as the worship team and children's ministry. So be in prayer for that and be on the lookout for that. Let's sing together.
0: Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells.